to the Bitcoin podcast episode number 208. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. And finally, host number three, Corey. We're all back in the same room again for a while. That's right. Yep. Well, not physically, but we finally are all back together on the round table. It's been a wild and crazy month. How many how many episodes has it been? I really it was like two. Like I don't know, like has it been that no, long? Kidding. It's like two. I don't know. No, I right, Tom? Like, no, it's been four, three or four. It's been four or four? I've had an yeah, four... interesting life over the past couple weeks, month. Tell the people about what you've been doing, James Bond. No, I'm not. We're not going too far into that. But we okay. did. We did start a donation fund for... Yep. So I, 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 live, I did live in Ellicott City, Maryland. Uh, walking distance to Old Ellicott City. And I have a lot of friends in Old Ellicott City, which came, like, which had a recent flood two years ago. And May 27th... They killed people. Yeah, they killed people. This May 27th, it killed another person because it happened again. Uh, that was supposed to be like a thousand-year flood. And all of the businesses came back. Um, some friends of mine opened up a business on Main Street. And it happened again on May 27th. And I was supposed to be flying to Texas. So we didn't go to Texas and evacuated them from their houses. All kinds of crazy nonsense. And basically the city is quite distraught from being wrecked the moment they got back on their feet from the previous flood. So I started a um, crypto donation fund. You can go to uh, ecdonate.thebitcoinpodcast.com to check it out. Donate stuff. There's a leaderboard. I, I forked it from the uh, Giveth IO Ethereum leaderboard, added some other coin addresses, give an explanation of what's going on. So if you donate, you'll get put on the leaderboard and get compared to what other people have donated with respect to Ethereum. I'm working on adding other coins to the leaderboard, but you can still donate with whatever you want. And, uh, yeah, give what you can. Yeah, so. Hope it's out, going, man. going directly to the uh, the relief, the, the local city relief funds. They just they don't take crypto, so I can take crypto and move it to them immediately, so that we can try and help them get back on their feet. Sorry to yeah, bring this, so... sorry to bring it down a little bit, but it's 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 it has personally impacted my life and a lot of my friends' lives, and it's 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 kind of rough to see such like a, a historic city go down, and I'm not sure it can come back without quite a bit of help from people outside of of maryland jeez man yeah that's very unfortunate I'm, i had the 
I had the uh, pleasure of meeting some of your friends from Ellicott City when I visited you. And that bar that has the best beer I've ever had in my life. Where would we go? So. Which one did we go to? We went to a lot. Oh, yeah. It's like a sports bar with like Old Bay wings, which I'd never had before. Everything's, like, how much Old Bay Old can they Bay eat and out here? Everything is Old Bay in Maryland. Yeah. And that's gone now, by the way. So that's good. Damn. Well, I want to give money to just that bar. So how can I... no, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. Well, so, guys, you heard it. Please help help out Ellicott City because um, that fucking sucks. There should be video footage on the site that you could show like how the I, devastation. I linked a YouTube. Is. I linked a YouTube search of of all of the things. So it happened with like in five minutes, right? So I have a friend that's on Main Street, like right at the funnel of the flood, and uh, she has a store, and she had just it was her first profitable month. She just opened the store, and she it started raining, and she's like, "Oh, it's raining. That kind of sucks." She had a great day that morning. And within five minutes, it got to the point of, oh, it's raining to my life is in danger. I need to go to the second floor of this building. And when she got to the second floor, she put her purse down to try and let someone else in to the store. She couldn't open the door because the water had too much pressure. So she couldn't physically mm. open the door. And mm. she had to leave. And so she, was like, she had to like, sorry, I can't let you in this building. And like, hope I hope you get out of this, of this flood. Oh man, that's devastation. Yeah. Well, I like that we've built something to where we can now contribute to causes that are bigger than us. I hope so. I hope that I hope we have enough reach that people will reach out and try and help something that's they're not directly affected by. I mean, it's it, it. This kind of stuff happens all the time to a lot of people, right? It's just reason why we did this is because it personally affected me, and I'm trying to help the ones that. Um. I know we're affected, right? There's a, all this stuff happens all the time, and it's hard to get people to actually give a shit and give to something that doesn't affect them. How do you do yeah. that? I mean, the leaderboard is an attempt to do yep. that because you like you're you're pitting people against each other to be the best donor. That's what the leaderboard kind of tries to do. I'm going to incorporate multiple coins so you can kind of pit people against each other in terms of like what coin is the best at donating, which is kind of a dumb thing. But at the end, it ends up helping a good cause. Who cares? Yeah, like what? Like say for instance, like uh, that thing where what was it? Like with a Ben Affleck or some shit gave like four million dollars in Ripple to Ellen. Oh, Ashton yeah. Kutcher. Who's it? Oh, Ashton Kutcher. All right, same. Ashton Kutcher. Yeah, yeah. Ashton Kutcher. But is that is that matter if the coin doesn't represent all of the ideology that we got into this for? If the funds are sent and make a difference. Yes. Why? Because XRP is like this centralized thing that sucks and that's good for them. All right. Well, he did send $4 million over his phone to Ellen that may make a difference somewhere or however much it was. I don't know what it was, but like the experience of moving money, the experience, the usability mm -hmm. of moving money from some person to another was the same. It just isn't backed by what we know is trustless, decentralized money that can't be stopped, right? Mm -hmm. But to the average user, if it looks the same, spells the same, feels the same, do they give a shit? Of course they're not going to give a shit. But that's something that we've known for a very, very long time. That's why you coined the phrase general purpose person. 
Well, that's people I think, don't care. They've right. got busy. They're too busy living to care. All right. Well, that's that, that's that why plays, there's the us's. That plays that a huge effect. That, that's a that's a big effect on how this stuff plays out, right? Because, I mean, in the end, it's it's what gets used is what that wins. I mean, even Jeremy Epstein says the best technology isn't the one that wins; it's the one that's marketed the best. I wouldn't say it's the one that's marketed the best. Well, there's a there's, there's, there's some the finesse there. I, I paraphrase what he said, right? The best product doesn't always win. It, there's, and what you're seeing with a lot of the new platforms that are like the quote unquote Ethereum killers are just trying to work better. They're trying different things, and they don't they don't come with all of the trustless decentralization guarantees, the ideology that kind of what we all got into this for. They don't carry those things, and they'll compromise decentralization for efficiency or scalability quickly and if they get used more what does that mean for this i don't know movement that we're trying to do that's the point that's why the the last adoption wave was as dangerous as it was is because everybody was all of a sudden okay with like let's take the cryptocurrency away from the blockchain thing we don't really need the blockchain thing to be with the cryptocurrency. And when you do that, it's like, oh, okay, so then let's all just use Google Sheets. Because that's all we all really need to do. We can keep pumping money into Google, and we can make sure the right people have the right passwords to get into the right Google Sheet to edit it. And then that's it. Google's already got it figured out. They can distribute a ledger to millions of people, probably billions. I think that like the real litmus test comes into play whenever you actually have something that's corruptible and people start to corrupt it. So a lot of these plays that promise all of the benefits of decentralization and cryptocurrencies without the blockchain and trustless nature of the consensus networks around the blockchain networks, mm -hmm. um, when they start getting used and they're corruptible, we're going to have a problem. Like, like it's very, I'm not going to say it's easy, but Governments will eventually turn to completely digital currencies, whether that's called a cryptocurrency or whatever that ends up being. If cryptocurrencies are doing that at the time they do it, it's going to happen. But they're going to do it in a way that they can control because that's the whole idea of doing a fiat currency is that you control inflation, dispersion, so on and so forth. Uh, Ripple, yes. Um, if they keep doing what they're doing from a marketing standpoint, they're going to win, even if you think it's just lipstick on a pig. What does win mean? Uh, break into mass adoption. I mean, if if they're doing commercials and and Ellen appearances, and uh, because right now you know DevCon four isn't going to doesn't break into mass adoption. You know, in in terms of marketing. Uh, in, in a B2B situation, marketing isn't that big of a deal. It's about, uh, it's about industry connections. You know, if your product is direct-to-consumer, then marketing plays a huge role. You know what I mean? Like, for instance, you know, who's the world leader in plasma torches for CNC machines? You know, a few people probably know that off the top of their head, but I'm sure the website sucks and the company doesn't care because anyone who needs the product is going to find them. You know, DevCon isn't for mainstream adoption. Ashton Kutcher, Ripple, Ellen, and donations is like the perfect marketing. Well, DevCon 4, Ethereum isn't for worldwide internet currency. 
It's for decentralized applications and what smart contract what smart contracts can allow for various types of business logic. I wouldn't say it's for everyday transactions. It's, I mean, it, but but the people that are putting it on, they care about. Oh, we have a bigger venue than last year, and we're going to make more money than last year because mainstream adoption is creating more ticket sales and a bigger audience. What makes you say that? Well, I mean, year after year, there you know, DevCon started with like 400 people in China, and now there's like 8,000 people in in Mexico. You know, and the next year there's probably going to be 12,000, and that's going to bring in more sponsors. You know, the developers care. You know, you can have Vlad up on stage talking about sharding or whatever. But the reality of it is, is they're trying to make money, more sponsors, bigger venues, and more people. Mm, or else yeah. we could just we could just do this all on a Google Hangouts, with you know for free, or have Goon Sarir on Google Meet, and we could all do this for free. But the reason why we're all gathering is we're, we're trying for mass adoption, and I think that's the underlying message in, in every convention, every meetup that we're sponsoring. You know, even no. what you're doing with the with the donations. I mean, we're teaming with Giveth, and Giveth, you know, they want to reach more people too, so more people participate, and and more people know about cryptocurrency and how it works. I don't, I don't know if uh, I'm going to argue against this. I don't think that DevCon, if we just go with DevCon in specific, is that's their whole goal, because DevCon is specific towards developers. Like that whole conference is very developer centric, and what they're trying to show is that. Ethereum has the developers. And in terms of mass adoption, developers are the link between the technology and the end user. They're the ones creating the applications, the use cases, the things that people end up using and playing games and so on and so forth that actually drives the adoption of the underlying technology. And I'm still I'm still very much in the same camp that if if what you're doing you should, the, the end user shouldn't really give a shit what you're doing. They shouldn't know they're really using Ethereum in the end. They should just be able to do something that they couldn't do beforehand or something they used to be able to do better or more efficiently. That's my like my idea on the ideal use case and Why a lot not? of this stuff. Why? Because we said yeah. it earlier, people don't care. People don't give a shit. They're never going to give a shit. There are a, there are a, a small section of us that do. I mean, that book that Cello made us read, Mind or Bridging the Gap, is talking about the like early stage adopters, the the next wave, which is a little bit bigger, but the massive audience doesn't care about the technology. They're just kind of they're doing something because everyone else is doing it, and they want to add on. It, it, it adds to the life without really changing the way they live their life. And we're really, really early adopters. you can't put the burden of care. You can't put the burden of care on a very small population of people. Oh, you're going to because that's how it works. We're the only people that are willing to change the way we live our lives to experience something new. A lot of people will not adopt a new technology unless it doesn't make them forcibly change the way they live their life now. Unless it's 100% beneficial. And let's be real. Using cryptocurrencies is not easy or 100% beneficial to using something else in first world countries. We're not there yet. So no one's going to adopt this because there's no reason for them to adopt it unless they think they're going to make wild amounts of money, which is why we see massive amounts of investors jump in because they want to make wild amounts of money. Not because they actually give a shit. It's the strength in the idea. 
that can't dissipate. You want it to. You you want that to be the thing. That's why you're in it. But let's be real uh, about who's in it. No, like I'm saying, if that idea doesn't, if that idea dissipates, the more that it dissipates over time, then the less anything changes, and the more things stay exactly the same. Can you expand on that? Yeah. The ideology of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin was to essentially say, like, hey, the monetary system is fucked. The way things are working is fucked. This is a better option. And given the fact that it is massively adopted, it's cheaper for everyone. Now, if it's not the better option, then the best option we have is the one that we're working with right now. The current monetary system that we it has promises of being better but it certainly isn't better now there's no way it, the foundation of how it works is better for a democratic money that can't be controlled by a given party across the world a global money that works for computers. that's the idea you're right but that's not what works really well now for everyday use cases there's there's some fringe use cases where Bitcoin, Ethereum, some other currencies work better than any other currency. But for the mass, vast majority of use cases and people, they're not ideal. They just might be later on. And that's what we're really getting into this for. Like, I mean, it, I don't, I, I, everyone knows what Bitcoin is. When you walk on the street and you say you work, I say like, I'm, I'm a blockchain developer or I'm a blockchain scientist. I, I say something along those lines. Like what? It's like, oh, have you heard of Bitcoin? Like, yeah, of course. That's very new, but they don't understand what it yeah. is or how it works or what the promise was when we got into it. They don't even know what decentralization means. They just heard the word Bitcoin so many times because of price. Yeah. Ma mass adoption would mean that people are using cryptocurrency without even thinking about it by a major part of the population. Yeah, it takes a very, very, very long time. Well, well, not, not only does it take a long time, but like right now, cryptocurrency is adopted by idealists like you, me, and Corey, and then like Corey said, large investors or speculative investors. Both groups are going to benefit from further adoption, but the revolution that is required for mass adoption is only going to be fueled by people like you and me, not the investors, because no revolution or no great revolution has ever come from people who just want to be rich. That's not going to happen. Mm, you can quote that. So when we first started out, like in 2012, 2013. But you're the guy that only wants to be rich. Like that's what you say on a daily basis. Right. People like me it, aren't going to feel this. <laughs> true, true mass adoption needs to start with small businesses. Yep. Are you gassing me up? Because like, hey, you got to do something, D. Because I don't give a fuck. You got to do something, <laughs> That's what she said. It's just, it's it's changed because when we started, it, it was all about small businesses and individuals accepting crypto and embracing debit cards to allow you to spend your crypto. But that wasn't adoption, you know. The Satoshi wanted to take banks out of the equation completely, and I think we've gotten away with that or from that. That's what I keep saying. I've been saying since like fucking November is that this last adoption wave started. When people were like, oh, like you could take the cryptocurrency away from blockchain. It's no biggie. And then everybody was like, oh, word. Well, the, I'm going to 
put a blockchain that registers all hotel cell phones, hotel room phones on there. And you don't need a currency for that, but you kind of do. And it's called PHO, phone token. Oh, like, I, I hope that exists. The last adoption wave was so fuzzy and <laughs> shitty. I'm curious and to see what, what, what rises from the dust of that. There's not going to be very many. I know for a fact that a lot of people who had a lot of great ideas and had lamp token where it's a smart web just for lamps. You're looking at a lamp in your hotel room, right? You damn straight. <laughs> you damn straight I am. What's the first thing that I see that I can tokenize in yeah. my room? Tokenize this bullshit ass coffee maker, coffee coin. Look, it's just um that ideology, what you said, is that no bank owns it. No country owns it. This is a ledger that everyone can trust because it's distributed and it's decentralized significantly enough. Those are the ideas that don't need to change. Now, what's happened, which is bad, is that now that people are digging their teeth in it and they're trying as hard as they can to make sustainable profit from it, they're moving the goalposts on what is decentralized and distributed, distributed enough. And they're saying, well, uh, it doesn't have to be that decentralized, well, you know. What's wrong with that? Because it's fucking greedy no, and it's not I, right. I, and it misaligns I, from the ideology. You can't you can't be wishy-washy here. You told me my talk at the Bitcoin Texas conference was great and that you aligned with it. And that's exactly what I said we're going to start doing. I said Yes, but we can't complete the goalpost. Complete decentralization works for a certain amount of use cases. And it's the first okay, time so we're capable of doing it. Now, the one use case. Go ahead. That's the most important is money. Sure. I agree with that. And if that's the case, then we have that blockchain and we have that ledger and we have a strong, strong, the strongest, despite what Ethereum may think, but just given by the numbers on the GitHub from what I see, Bitcoin is still the strongest of the development community. Working day and night, making Bitcoin better. And we've got a layer two. And there's already people working on layer three apps. So why not just say that's the winner? Now let's see some other use cases that we can fashion. Maybe if we move the goalposts to decentralization and distrib evenly distribute it out a little bit, there's some other use cases. But money's taken care of. Mm, it's not. It's not taken care of. Can, can, Have you sent the lightning coin lightning transaction? It is it is one Satoshi to send one Satoshi. Of. There are not billions of people using it at the same time. There's a lot. There There's are a lot not more than there are using other things. People using it at the same time. If you want it to be a global decentralized currency for all people, then everyone has to use it. And that is not a scenario that we're even okay, close well to. Well, then I recant and I'll say money, the foundation for money is taken care of. Let's start building a fucking house. Okay, great. Let's start. That's what we're doing. That's what we're trying to do is figuring out how to build on top of foundations. And there's a few different ways of doing it. And those are going to be experimental. A lot of people, once they learned how to build foundations, tried to build on top of them and they failed because whatever they tried to do sucked. We're going to start experiencing there, those types of things. You talk, are you talking about the technology right now? Just all of this stuff, man. Like we're not we're I'm not about building houses. Things. We're trying to build houses. <laughs> the world can't use this yet. 
Let's get that through our heads. It's cool. It works for the small community that's really that's really pumped about it. But we're not there yet. We're trying to figure out how to get there, and that's we're going to stumble along the way. There's going to be a lot of crappy shit. There's going to be a lot of scamsters. Scamsters, I like that. There's going to be a lot of people that try shit. There's going to be a lot of failures, and there's going to be a few things that work. Just how the internet slowly got better over time. There's a lot of crap that came out, people trying to make the internet work that didn't work. Now we're talking yeah. about money and it's just, it's, 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 it happens faster because the internet's already here and allows us to communicate much, much faster. And we have a good example by analogy to work from. It's, it's just, it's still going to take time. <clears throat> There's still going to be problems and a lot of people are going to lose their money. And mm. if you aren't cool with that, don't invest. Also, I, I just, I, I think that there's always going to be people who aren't good with computers. There's going to be people with memory problems or dementia. And if they'd rather pay a fee to have a bank take the risks of robbery, why shouldn't they? That's always going to be there. Yeah, I don't think banks are going to go away. What's important, the important part about this and what important part about all of this is the, what you said is exactly true. But you can't build a decentralized money on top of a centralized system. But you can no. build centralized systems on top of decentralized systems. You can build banks. You can build centralized banks that offer all of the things that banks offer now on top of these decentralized money networks. But you, still have, rectangle. The, you still have the option to use it outside of that. Whereas like right now, we don't have the option to do anything else. We have to use banks. Well, we do now. We can use Bitcoin if we want. But like before this happened, we never had an option on how we used money. We were just told how we used money and we accepted it and we got on with it. But now that you can build stuff on these systems, we're going to have all kinds of options to do things and we're not going to put up with people telling us how to use our money. When like Andrea says this all the time, when the kids who are using Bitcoin and learning how to use the internet that are like eight, nine, 10, they're accepting money, they're using Bitcoin on their phones and stuff. When they open up a bank account when they're what, like 15, 16, they're going to be like, what, what the fuck is this? And they're going to be yeah. so appalled by all the things that they have to do or the fees that they, they, they get from it that it's going to be ridiculous unless the banks adopted mm -hmm. this type of thing by then. But we, we, I remember we, all the things that we had to go through, we just assumed it was like, this is what it's like to become an adult. We start taking fees and we have responsibilities and get charged if we do something <laughs> wrong. And that's not necessarily true. We just accepted it because that was the only option. Yeah. But this this one's tricky because this technology doesn't care about our ideals. It's open source, and once it's out there, people can do what they want. You know, that helping banks make faster transactions was not part of the original white paper. Mm -mm. So what? If if blockchain can make something work better, then it has a use case, and someone was going to use it to their business. That's how open source and the free market works. Well, if if open source development grows and grows and grows, then it's serving a purpose because people are contributing to it. The interesting about thing about all this stuff is that these these money networks are networks which don't exist with unless you have people in them. There's no value to Bitcoin if there's no one using it. And you need a community around these things to rally behind the idea of using it and the utility of using it if there's going to be any value in them. And so as we contribute to open source projects, 
there's going to be a lot of people trying to do things. And if people don't align with what the project's trying to do, they won't get used and they'll fail. Yeah. I just don't like the major chess moves that you see played. Like, clearly, these cryptocurrencies aren't going away. And to me, like, the narrative, I think that most narratives are just introducing uncertainty so that the people that do have large amounts of money can now future-proof themselves even further while everyone else is too scared because they don't have the money to play around, sits on the sideline yet again, and we just have another cycle perpetuated. Like, with Coinbase getting their license and fucking a nut hair nut hair away from doing an IPO and probably doing an IPO on the on someone's blockchain probably ethereum i'm just going to go ahead and call that out um like they're putting the pieces on the chessboard to do checkmate on the rest of us poor mofos all over again and they're going to like these price drops that keep happening and all this stuff like they're just buying up all this stuff gobbling it up and when it comes time to that mass adoption, they have so much of it, they've now future-proofed themselves. I mean... Again, I, mean, I feel like that's what's happening. I guess you can call me an elitist, but if I have a shitload of money that I work for, and then I make good decisions with that money and make more money, isn't that good on me? Yes, but you come, you don't come, you come from a mind frame in where you're going to have to make good decisions with your money to make a lot of money. So a lot of people that have a lot of money already did not make decisions. They just have a lot of money. And once you're rich, it's hard to get poor again. You just put it in a bunch of shit that grows over time and just sit around and you become richer. Oh, that the Compound interest. Vanilla ice. I don't know why you said that. He was rich and it's not. He's pretty rich now. He's got that show on HGTV. Oh, yeah. He totally took over that. Like uh... Builds houses, bro. Yeah. Yeah, and he makes ice ice baby jokes every episode. He was extra poor for a little while. Yeah, he was. Yes, but he's different. Like I'm not okay. Wealthy snipes. When you become wealthy, it's hard to the that wealth doesn't just go away. Like okay, wealth. You own so many companies. Wealth you've invested in so many things, but the wealthy also have this thing where they like become super saturated with greed, and they're like, no one else can be wealthy like me. This is not right. I'm the wealthy one. I don't know and if that's so true. They're doing the same thing. I don't know if that's true. I think it's absolutely <laughs> true. Laws exist for wealthy people to stay wealthy. Like they why do you think you can't sell Teslas in Texas? You've got to buy them and ship them in. You don't because the oil industries run Texas. There's two people who are grandfathered in, Cello. We have this argument all the time. There's like very few Tesla dealerships in texas that were grandfathered in but you can't just go open a tesla dealership in texas right okay now. that has to do with um there's a tesla dealership in austin it's been there for like three yes, years that one, yes and it was grandfathered in but now you can't you got to go buy it somewhere or buy it there like that's the only place there was a book that i read that was i think it was i think it was one of malcolm gladwell's books um i don't remember off the top of my head but the idea was that in order to basically disrupt some type of thing you need to be doing something else for a long time until that's unstoppable and then you can start to bleed into what they're doing because like if you think about the analogy that was made was that if you imagine like a, a canopy of a jungle the tallest trees just basically box out everything below them 
and it's really, 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 really difficult for a budding tree to then find space within that canopy to break through the top. And that's kind of the idea of these, these massive industries, like the car dealerships and what you just said, it's like, there's like six of them that are basically stealing all the sun that are much higher than everyone else. And they're not going to like really disrupt each other because they have all the sun. They just, and they block everything else out. And if you're somebody trying to get up in there, you're, you're going to have a hard time. And that's the general idea. And Bitcoin, I don't know how they did it. They, they kind of flew under the radar to a point of lasting long enough to not be able to be stopped through pure cypherpunk ideology. And it got enough hashing power to be um, basically too monetarily and feasibly difficult to 51% attack. So proof of work can only be attacked if you have that much computing power in which now that's not going to happen. But someone starting out, good luck, right? It's you, you could, it, They're much easier and more vulnerable to attack in a proof of work scenario because they don't have the hashing power that Bitcoin has behind it. So what you're saying is that crypto and blockchain need to become so so awesome in their own right that they start bleeding into they start disrupting they need to do something that isn't available elsewhere they can't try and be the same as something else otherwise they'd just be like why would we ever do that why would we allow for that it's amazing that elon musk is even able to do what he's he's able to do in the car industry and you can be damn sure that he had a hard time doing it well, he has a hard time doing it because the people that are wealthy don't want him to do it. All right. Well, I, I, I'll give I'll give credence to that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> say you're 100 like, wrong. On there's that like, one. if you Google illegal to buy Teslas, you're gonna get like 20 to fucking 50 articles of dealerships not being able to sell them because of the way the laws are written. Like once you get wealthy in this country. That's it. Then you start talking to the congressman and you start writing laws to protect your wealth and you're good to go. I don't know if that's all, all but, wealthy people. I mean, I feel like that's a, a percentage of them, but it's not all wealthy people. That's not like your brain okay. doesn't swap. I can't be absolute. That's the first way to get the wrong answer on a true false question. A high percentage <laughs> of wealthy people in this country will try and have laws designed to make sure their wealth stays where it is. I wouldn't even say a high percentage. 60%. I would say 60 to 70%. I don't know. That's what I would I, say. We're, tall. we're talking out of our ass right now, so hard to say. Why don't we switch over to our... I am talking. Um, no, I wanted to say something though. Okay. And sometimes you just have to reinvent things. I like what you say, like, um, unless you're doing something that can't be done elsewhere... I get that, but sometimes you have to reinvent things because the way they're working sucks, and that's just that. What about and not reinventing the wheel? Money has to be reinvented, and the wheel has to be reinvented. The wheel's been reinvented countless times. I don't even go there, but money has to be reinvented. If we're going to dream the dreams that are as powerful as we possibly can go, money can't work the way it currently works. Not with we the want internet. Space, or, space exploration, that kind of shit. You can't send U.S. dollars to a Mars colony. Uh, can you? I don't know. What are they going to do with a bunch of greenbacks? 
if they're especially if they're not U.S. Well, I think what D's like trying to get a at collection is collection of humans. The way, send the way giant humans piles work. of dollars. Well, the way humans work huh? and the way the internet has allowed us to kind of be borderless and the fact that we have businesses that are more international than not, it's very easy to communicate and do business with someone that's not a part of your immediate local vicinity because of the internet and, dig and the, how that's opened things up. We're going to need a money that supports that. Yes. That has no bounds. We have to have We need that. money for the internet. And there isn't something that exists outside of blockchain that provides that. Not yes, right now, yes. Like but fundamentally, I still like... from the ground up, from a protocol level that has doesn't have someone saying, "You can do that, you can't do that." It's like it's just the way the computers work that allows this. That doesn't exist until blockchain, Bitcoin. I'm I can help not reinventing money. What's up, Joe? How can we how can we expect to reinvent the wheel when every freaking ICO, all they do is make user-centric adjustments to existing products and services. We're going to decentralize healthcare. We're going to decentralize the e-game. The e like, that's not even in our, the way they do things. Yeah. It's not even in the formula. I know. That's, that's why the last adoption wave was so detrimental to the industry as a whole, I think. It was because of all of the buzzwords. Buzzwords souffle. Man, and I there's very this. few companies actually doing things. I called this. It's just we we just figured out how to do something. We made it easy for people to do it without understanding what they were doing, and they burnt themselves. It's like there's just a mm -hmm. large amount of money we're getting in because other people had made a bunch of money. They were just throwing dumb money at projects, and then people realized that if I just said the words in the right order, people would throw money at me. That's. I'm not gonna say it's 100% over, but it's. The majority of it is over. The cat's out of the bag. We, you need to prove what you're doing before someone's going to fund you ridiculously. <laughs> well, maybe not EOS, but we'll see. Someone should make a website called like the Icarus Graveyard for all those projects that flew, flew too close to the sun and burnt their shit up. Well, when they got millions of dollars of runway with like five developers, we'll see how long they can last. I want to know how many of the people that I interviewed on announcements are on a beach right now, like with a very small whiteboard. Like, when are we going to figure this out, guys? We have time. <laughs> We're good. This Mai Tai costs 50 cents, and we have millions. We got time. I'm reading Reddit. <laughs> I'm reading Reddit, guys. Don't worry. I'm on it. Yeah. Reddit's going to tell us. Well, we should go into the interview. This has been a long first part of the roundtable. So we had Taylor Pearson on the show. Um, you might know him from things. Um, what, you want me to do this? <laughs> yes. All right. Yes. Um, <laughs> Taylor believes that entrepreneurship can create money, meaning, and freedom in your life. So naturally, he researches about blockchain because that's the future of innovation and productivity. And uh, let's be honest here. He has a huge social media presence. We wanted to get him on the pick his brain because he's been on a lot of podcasts and he has a lot of influence and he writes a lot of stuff. And you might have heard him on Reese's podcast earlier this week and we interview him coincidentally and uh, I'm sure we take the conversation in a different direction. So it's worth listening to. Yep. Here it is. All right. Uh, so we're here with uh, Taylor Pearson who's Someone I, I, I personally follow on social media. I know a lot of you, you guys do. And 
coupled with his interest and knowledge of crypto and blockchain. I really wanted him to come on the show because every day on our Slack, we have listeners of the show asking about the latest online crypto courses, asking us if they you know, could or should go back to online university. I mean, hell, even D, my co-host here, is debating going back to school. And as the author of End of Jobs, when you're when my goal is like when we're done with this interview, I'm hoping that those listening, you'll you kind of have a new perspective of the world, new careers, possibilities that are showing up. And it, actually, if you thumb through his book, you'll see like real examples of people who kind of followed the traditional path and kind of chased a mirage. So honestly, sometimes all we need is another point of view. So uh, Taylor, you rock, man. Thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'm excited. This is going to be fun. Yeah, so before we dive into like the meat and potatoes of things, how did like this all start for you? How did you fall into the rabbit hole with, with uh, crypto? So I was, for about two years, I was a, a marketing manager in an e-commerce company, and I moved to Asia. We had a, a web marketing team in Asia, you know, like designers, developers, PPC, uh, pay-per-click advertising, um, all that kind of stuff. And so there's a pretty big community in Southeast Asia of uh, US expats, a lot of whom are expats because they're not big fans of uh, the US government. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when they heard about Bitcoin, uh, they were all about it. So I was thinking about some of those guys, uh, this would have been like maybe 2012, 2013. Um, and that was when I started uh, hearing about it. And then I had a bunch of friends sort of on Ethereum and um, all this sort of like smart contracting stuff started percolating that we're getting into it in San Francisco. And um, yeah, I've sort of gradually been sucked deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole over the past four or five years. Did you, uh, did you come to crypto by way of Bitcoin or, or were you after the fact Ethereum? Uh, so I, I heard, I'd heard of Bitcoin. I think I heard of Bitcoin for the first time, 2012. Um, but I wasn't really, I would say probably after sort of there was that like run up in 2013 when uh, Bitcoin was on CNBC for the first time, that whole thing. Uh, and that was when I said, I would say I started sort of like actively following it like that, the sort of the price action in 2013 sucked me in. I was like, okay, I should, I should learn more about this. And then started reading about it. And that was about the time uh, Ethereum came out as well. Yeah, but Dia and I, we've, we've been in the game, the crypto game for like five or six years now. So, and we have this media platform, obviously. So we always kind of fell back on the fact that, hey, we're early adopters. And if we build something people are going to find value and then we're going to be okay. And like today, you know, I can't speak for D, but we aspire for a lot. And I'd be lying if I said that all of our bucket list check marks were, were dried on the piece of paper. You know, if, if being first to the dance isn't the end all be all of seizing opportunity, can you dive a bit into how most successful entrepreneurs got their start and maybe how that can apply to this space since it's so new? Yeah. So, um, it's one of the things that's been really interesting to me. I, I wasn't, uh, I think there's some people that are, are sort of like natural entrepreneurs or often it's like the people that have the, the lemonade story or, uh, you know, the baseball card story. Now I was at nine years old. I was like hustling baseball cards. Uh, and that, that wasn't really me at all. I, I don't think I was particularly entrepreneurial, um, as a kid. And I, I mentioned I was working for this e-commerce company in Southeast Asia and I started hanging out with, uh, all these internet entrepreneurs, people running uh, online businesses. Uh, and one of the things I started to notice um, was this phenomenon uh, what I call stair-stepping, which is one of the things that's happened um, 
over the last call it 10 or 15 years uh, is that the cost of starting a business on the internet has just come down so much, right? Like you think about um, if you want to start a, uh, a company selling handbags or whatever, if you wanted to do that, um, you know, the, the companies that are working with, we were manufacturing in China, so they started in 2007. In like 2007, 2008, like a minimum order quantity if you wanted to do a production run in China was uh, like on the order of like half a million half a million dollars. So if you had like less than half a million dollars, like you could not get in the game. Um, and that number's come down dramatically. So I, I know people that do like minimum order quantity runs in China now for like a few thousand bucks, like two or three thousand dollars. Mm. Um, and that's sort of been true across a lot of different uh, things. You know, if you wanted to set up a, a server to run your software startup in uh, 2000, uh, the set I remember is I think $150,000 worth of server space in 2000. Uh, you can get for something like $100 on AWS now, so like from $150,000 to $100. And so part of what this enables uh, is this idea of like stair-stepping, where um, compared to in the past, you know, you want to start a business, uh, you need to go out and you need to raise a bunch of capital, uh, and it's very capital-intensive. Uh, a lot of these internet businesses, these technology businesses, aren't very capital-intensive, and so you can get started with, you know, $100, $200, um, sort of in your spare time, nights and weekends, and, and sort of start like building up this skill set. Um, so I think one of the interesting things now is I see all these people that uh, are doing what I call stair stepping. Right, you start and you have um, a very sort of entry level uh, or pretty simple internet business. The story I always like to tell is uh, a guy named Rob Walling, uh, who had sort of a mid manager job at a large corporation, uh, and he wanted to do uh, he wanted to start a business. And so uh, he started doing uh, WordPress plugins. He kind of taught himself to code. Uh, WordPress is an open source uh, software platform, runs like 30% of the web. Um, and he started building these little plugins, uh, selling sort of like one-off uh, services. You, know, you want like a special contact form you can embed on your website or whatever. Uh, you know, you pay $20 for this plugin that, that Rod made. Uh, and you can set up on your website. Uh, and that's it's sort of a thing where like, you know, if you were willing to spend a few months, like uh, you could figure out how to do that. Um, you could teach yourself coding, you could potentially outsource some of it to, uh, to someone uh, and sort of figure out how to run that business. And over a period of about 10 years, uh, Rob scaled that up through a number of different software businesses. Um, and I think, you know, at this point, 10 years later, uh, is running a, you know, 50 person-ish, uh, multinational software uh, company that all sort of started from this very, very small project. Mm -hmm. I like that. So if you transfer that to, you know, kind of take that same story and translate it to the crypto world, maybe it does start small with like writing a simple smart contracts or auditing simple smart contracts. And then it kind of stair steps up into, you know, more and more, maybe you build your first app or writing very simple dApps. Yeah, I guess I haven't thought about a lot about it in the context of, of crypto. But like I said, I talked at dinner with a guy a couple of weeks ago who uh, was a senior in college and just started like researching crypto in his spare time and just like writing medium pieces about it. You know, like he went and he like made everything about ASIC resistance and wrote a piece on ASIC resistance. And uh, he got a job at like a you know big, uh, or to the crypto space, big sort of, uh, hedge fund things like those sorts of like sort of projects that you can do now 
we can sort of like showcase your work uh, can like translate into pretty interesting stuff. Interesting. So could could we go a little bit into the Lightning Network? We see that you uh, you write about it quite a bit. And um, I don't know, we're looking to dispel some myths slash shine some light on to the development of the Lightning Network. And um, there's been some confusion, right, Cello? Yeah, you and I have been going back and forth on it. Like, uh, depending on who you talk to, if you're on the small block core side, if you're in the Bitcoin cash, everyone has their own kind of stance. People always have a lot of opinions on whether it'll scale or not. Did we lose him? Oh, I lost him for a second, but yeah, it's back. All right, he's back. So, uh, sorry, could you, what was the, I lost the last bit of the conversation there. Yeah, we were just curious, um, you know, like Cello said, you know, depending on who you talk to in the Bitcoin community, uh, Lightning Network is a godsend, or Lightning Network is just this cluster spaghetti Rube Goldberg machine that can never work. And you've written about a lot. What, what are your opinions on the Lightning Network, where it is now, and, and, and what it could possibly scale to? So, yeah, I guess I wouldn't say I'm an expert in the Lightning Network. I, uh, I'm not even sure how, how much I've, uh, I've written about it. Um, I, I read the white paper for the first time maybe a few months ago. Likewise. Um, and I read a few things about it. But, yeah, I, I, I guess I don't have any super strong opinions. It seems layer two scaling makes more sense to me intuitively than layer one scaling. Um, and, of, you know, of the approaches that are out there right now, Lightning seems, uh, seems the most compelling. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure I have any particularly intelligent opinions on Lightning. Okay, well, I guess uh, back on the spirit of entrepreneurship, you know, when you could once upon a time raise $40 million in 20 seconds via an ICO, do you think it made corporate businessmen lazy? Because a, a lot of companies tried to get in on the craze, they pivoted their company, and then halfway through their pre-ICO or their planning stages, the Wild West got shut down. The SEC stepped in. GDPR stepped in, and now they realize, you know, oh crap, you know, what do we do? You know, do you have any opinions on that? Yeah, I mean, that definitely. What was the the story I saw was like the the one that jumped to mind. Like, it's like the Long Island Tea Company it was like the Long Island Tea Company, the blockchain Long Island Tea Company, or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so like added blockchain to their name, and you know, their stock price like tripled overnight because all the bots. Uh, all the bots bought it. Uh, but yeah, I guess sort of my whole read on the, call it like the frenzy or the, the craze or whatever has been influenced by uh, an economist named Carlotta Perez, who has a book called Technological Revolutions in Financial Capital. Um, and she's done a, a bunch of really good research on this. If, if you're into that, I would recommend her book for sure. Uh, and sort of her, her point is uh, with every sort of previous technological revolution, so like, you know, the dot-com bubble, uh, there was a huge bubble in railways uh, or railroads where you know, there's this huge amount of like uh, railroad track that got laid down and basically went, ended up going to the middle of nowhere. Um, you had this like big mania phase, uh, which sort of like necessarily uh, lays the infrastructure for eventually sort of like the more sustainable uh, building stage. So uh, all the sort of like crazy stuff happening, like, yeah, it's, it's BS, right? Like a lot of these projects are... Uh, are vaporware uh, if there's anything there at all. Um, but 
I, I think overall sort of the the mania frenzy is like a pretty uh, that's something that like in capitalist society has happened many times um, over the past couple centuries. Uh, and so it's probably like not anything to be particularly worried about at a macro point of view, obviously from you know a micro yourself point of view, not buying vaporware is a pretty good idea. Yes, definitely. Definitely a good idea. I, I, I like to think if I could offer my two bits that it was those were growing pains last year when he had like somebody make tree coin and they're like, We're gonna tokenize all the trees in your neighborhood and then they end up raising a million dollars or two million dollars. Um, I think those those times are dead and gone, gladfully. But there was some legitimate stuff, you know, Filecoin, Blockstack. You know, there were some legitimate companies that took advantage of that that time and space. Yeah, that's true, but I don't think they aimed to take advantage of it. I think they just happened to have sweet, serendipitous timing. Right, right. You know, I, I don't think that they set out to take, like, some certain people saw what was happening and they made lawn care coin or uh, used tires, used rubber cone coin, you know, like, come on. But I think there were some people that had projects going that just happened to have good timing. That's my two Well, you know, crypto is definitely the new economy. And, uh, you know, Taylor, I think, did a good job of being able to use data to back up the paradigm shift so convincingly before kind of the wave overtook us. So I know everybody wants to leave their nine to fives. We want to laugh in the face of companies that tell us job security is no more. And, you know, well thought out, you know, evidential case for changing how we should view and carry out work. And I was listening to an interview with Vitalik Buterin, and he said that he is now the destroyer of jobs and the builder of new ones. Um, is, is that kind of how you see this space as well? Like the nine to five is dying, blockchain tech is creating more people working from home. It's a more decentralized job market, and we're replacing old ideas and positions. Yeah, I was actually working on a follow-up book to the end of jobs. Um, when I sort of like felt, I fell deeper down the rabbit hole um, and like everything sort of, a lot of things sort of like clicked for me when I really sort of started to wrap my head around uh, the potential of public blockchains. And so I, the essay I really like, uh, Nick Zabo's uh, essay on social scalability uh, talks about this idea of uh, basically having a, uh, having these public blockchains, having this sort of trust layer where, you know, you and I, or you, know, you or anyone else or I or anyone else, even if we have um, you know, no similar cultural background, you know, no kinship background, sort of like all the things that traditionally uh, put trust into a transaction, we can start to transact. You get this very socially scalable, uh, socially scalable world. And so the sort of image that like I have in my mind is this idea of like the blockchain individual that all of a sudden, uh, instead of uh, individual sort of uh, organizing through traditionally firms, uh, individuals be able to like coordinate economic activity through uh, through blockchains. So I, one of the things I've been thinking a lot of is um, there's this economist named Ronald Coase in like the 1930s, and he had a paper called The Nature of the Firm, and like the whole idea was like why do companies exist, right? Like if capitalism is so amazing and so efficient, like why do we have 
uh, basically these like mini socialist systems, right? Like companies use like little mini planned economies uh, that exist in, uh, in this like broader capitalist system. And his answer was basically transaction costs. So like, you know, you want to have someone, you know, there's 50 emails in your inbox. And theoretically, there is someone that is more specialized and capable of answering each of those emails than you. But realistically, the transaction costs, like you got to go find that person, you got to hire them, you got to write a contract to engage with them. You have to, you have to be able to enforce that contract. You know, you have to be able to go to court and say, you know, John did or did not answer my email properly. Um, those transaction costs are so high that it's just like not worth it. So, you know, you do it yourself or, you know, if you're an executive of a large company or something, you hire an executive assistant full time, um, and your email for you. Uh, and so when I like look at blockchains, uh, I just see like all these transaction costs disappearing, right? You get all this transparency into uh, who these different actors are. It becomes suddenly easy to, you know, uh, very easy to like find and source vendors. Um, and then the whole idea behind smart contracts, right, is this idea that you can take sort of this wet code, this like legal system code, um, that's very messy and very expensive to execute. You know, if you have to take some of the court, it's going to cost you a, a bunch of money. Uh, whereas if you can move some of that sort of wet, messy legal code into dry code and you can execute it um, based on you know, some sort of uh, deterministic conditions where you don't have to get this like wet legal system involved, you like drop those transaction costs a lot. So I think that's that's sort of like the arc here that we're moving from, you know, this relatively this world with like relatively high transaction costs where people are bundled up in firms because it's very expensive to just coordinate via the market to this one that is much more like um, these sort of autonomous blockchain individuals that are coordinating, um, yeah, more in this more tenuous way. The uh, third uh, analogy I like is sort of like the Hollywood model. Like you can imagine this is sort of like how Hollywood already works, right? You have uh, all these like sort of out there individuals that aren't in a company per se when you make a movie, but they're able to like come together and coordinate and like do this like big project, right? Like these hundreds uh, movies that, you know, cost hundreds of millions of dollars are made, are basically all made by uh, like a bunch of freelancers uh, that like get to, you know, set up one of these movies, six months, nine months uh, and make this movie. And so I imagine that's what, uh, that's sort of what the future of the economy looks more like a lot of these sort of uh, Hollywood type systems. Yeah, that that's something I've always wondered myself is when you look at the end of a movie nowadays, it's just thousands of people and it's like who is choreographing this? Who is managing all these different groups of people? That's uh, it's an interesting observation you made. Um do you think that in in a world where everything is so I guess decentralized and people are freelancing a bit more um, that produ productivity kind of is going to go down because, you know, people get subscribed to these long projects or they're, they're freelancing and working in blockchain on random projects here and there, but you never really can commit hardcore to just one thing. You know what I mean? It seems like people would be stretched. Yeah. So I think... I guess the way I think about it is productivity should go up, right? So you think about, you know, I think about what happened sort of over the course of the 20th century um, is you had this this increasingly productive world, right? There were huge gains in productivity over the, the 20th century um, that was facilitated by increased specialization, right? So, you know, 
sort of, uh, to, you know, you go all the way back where like you're growing your own food and you're making your own clothes. Uh, you don't get any of the benefits of specialization, right? Like, but all of a sudden, you know, you have a factory where the clothes are made and you have a, a farm and a industrial mill that makes the bread and yada, yada. Uh, and the sort of the net individual productivity of everyone uh, goes up a lot because they're able to do, you know, specialized labor that you can be a nuclear physicist or whatever. Um, and you can add, you can contribute a lot more in that way. Uh, but in order to do that historically, uh, you had this like very large transaction sector. So like all these middlemen that had to sort of coordinate um, that those transactions. You're like the diplomats between the US and China have to negotiate the bilateral trade treaty and what all the tariffs are and yada, yada, yada in order to facilitate uh, that sort of trade and that sort of interaction. Or, you know, lawyers have to uh, draft the contracts in order for everything to go back and forth. And, you know, accountants have to, uh, you know, see all the inflows and the outflows. Um, and so as of like uh, 1970 is the last date I've been able to find data on it, uh, something like 46% of uh, the U.S. economy was what you call like the transaction sector. So they weren't, it wasn't people that were actually making something. They were just like facilitating all these transactions. Um, but that was still in a sense, it was much more productive than 1870 when you had less people in the transaction sector, but much less of specialized labor and so like what i imagine like in state of this blockchain thing is is that you're able to get the same or higher levels i think higher levels um of sort of specialization uh, and then all that sort of like interaction stuff in the middle uh is facilitated by um by blockchain so like as an example here you know if you're a um you're a doctor and you're like really good at one particular type of hip surgery. Um, if all that is like transparent on the blockchain, and if you know you have that hip problem, you can go see there's you know 300 reviews signed by you know different individuals, self-sovereign private key or whatever, saying this guy did my hip surgery or this girl did my hip surgery and it was amazing and I had no complications and da 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 da. da. Uh, that doctor can like get very very specialized, right? Um, and, you know, even like, I think a doctor's an interesting example because um, eventually it's all going to be telesurgery, right? Like, you know, the doctor can be in Singapore and you can be in Baltimore. It doesn't matter. Um, they're just going to put you in like a, a room with a robot. And he's going to do the surgery via the robot from Singapore um, or wherever he happens to be. Uh, so, yeah, I, th I would think it would get even more specialized because uh, you like reduce all these middlemen and you get all these... Um, these efficiencies. And so I even think like this happens on the internet today. Like, you know, I think of a guy I know who's like really, really good at Facebook pay-per-click ads uh, for e-commerce brands. Like that's his thing. And he's like really, really good at that. And he has sort of a reputation around that. Um, and he's able to be very, very effective because he's got this sort of uh, very specific skill set. Hmm. Interesting. So, what it kind of sounds like you're alluding to is what I see a lot of, um, I guess, experts or, or um, I don't know, personalities in this space say, and that is that blockchain and cryptocurrencies are kind of going to usher in a new uh, industrial revolution. Um, you see that being possible? Uh, what, like when you say industrial revolution, what are you thinking about? So when I say industrial revolution, I'm thinking about the industrial revolution. Uh, we had specialization. Um, let's see here, like assembly lines. Um, 
new inventive ways um, to, you know, create all these, I mean, all these amazing products that were pumping out automobiles, boomed um, the industrial revolution, the one we all know of at the turn of the 20th century. And, and everyone now I hear the saying like blockchain is going to usher in a new industrial revolution where, you know, automation and robots are paying robots on the assembly lines instead of, you know, people on the assembly lines. It's robots paying other robots different types of cryptocurrency to to perform the work. I don't know. I just some I've, it's an idea I've heard jumbled around many times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, no. I think you're. Uh... I guess my thinking is sort of along those lines as well. Um, I mean, I think, you know, one hallmark of the industrial revolution was like these big productivity gains, right? That the average person was uh, much more productive and, you know, there were large sort of quality of life and income improvements as a result. And so I think that um, that is likely to be the case. I think sort of overall economic productivity uh, eventually, I think it will take you know, probably like a period of decades, like 10, 20, 30 years uh, before that shows up in sort of the macro numbers. But I would expect that to happen. Um, I think it's also sort of industrial revolutionary um, in like the, like what does your life look like since? So sort of, you know, like, uh, you know, you think like the median uh, you know, American or European pre-industrial revolution um, you know, was born on a farm, they live on the farm, they died on the farm. I can't remember all the stats, but you know, something like 1850, something like 90% of Americans were farmers. Uh, that's what, that was everything that everyone did. And by 1950, that number was like 7% or something. Um, that like the median person in 1950, uh, like, uh, you know, was worked in a factory, maybe they were like a middle manager in a large company. Uh, or worked for a corporation in some other way. And so like, that's a very different uh, sort of way of work. It's just what your lifestyle looks like is very different. And so I, I expect that will be true too. That sort of, you know, it's not like um, everything's gonna sort of like go on and everyone's gonna keep going to offices and cities are gonna look the same. Uh, all those things are gonna be reshaped. Uh, I think in much the same way they were in the industrial revolution. Well, and I wanted to ask about that. Um... Let's say, you know, I want a job in crypto. That's like my new goal. And there's a lot of blueprints out there on how to be successful in the old nine to five. You know, how do I navigate through this competitive global job market now? You know, maybe finding an apprenticeship isn't the best route in, in this new crypto job market. Um, obviously, you know, I don't want to jump the gun. I know you probably have ideas to write, you know, blogs and books about this. But let's just say right now we're really early. I want a job in crypto. What is the best place to start? I think. Well, I guess the, I mean, the biggest thing is like, do you have some sort of like track record? I think, uh, at least my impression, you know, like, have you contributed, you know, if you're a developer, like, uh, have you contributed some open source, uh, software to GitHub? that's like, you know, building on one of the projects in this space. Uh, like, I think that's sort of the, you know, especially because like the whole thing is open source. Uh, like the barrier to entry to get started is very low. Uh, and so like the only reason someone wouldn't get started uh, is, you know, they don't really want to, or I think like more commonly are sort of like, oh, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm worried if this is going to work or if this is going to be uh, a waste of my time. And so I think that's like sort of the filter, right? Like if you're a crypto company and you're hiring, it's like, you know, everyone like do something, you know, if you're, uh, 
uh, a marketer or whatever, you could write a, you know, you could write some medium article about why Bitcoin is going to be this or why Ethereum is going to be that. Um, you know, developers can contribute. There's, there's almost, um, you know, almost sort of like every skill set can do something for free on the side kind of thing to demonstrate some interest. And then I think from that point, you have some leverage to go, uh, you know, try to get a role at a crypto company or maybe the project takes off and ends up being, uh, you know, being a, a company, a business, something you can do. So long to short, take the skill sets you already have and start building a way to showcase them in this industry. Cause I, like I mean, it. it's fertile ground. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like one like super low hanging fruit that I'm like surprised, uh, not, not surprised when people don't do, but like, I think a lot more people should is, uh, just like crypto Twitter is so good. There's like so much interesting stuff on there and so many people like people that you wouldn't be able to reach any other way that are like very accessible on there. Uh, and then if you like start following these people and like asking them intelligent questions, uh, and you know, you post, you know, you start to learn the space, you start just sort of like having this little media platform. Um, I see a lot of, you know, I've met people who have like, you know, gotten really good jobs from their like Twitter profile just because they were active in the community and contributing. So I think that's like one specific, uh, like pretty clear way to get involved. Mm. Looks like we're already almost there, Cello. Crypto Twitter, we're on top of it. Yeah, I'm grabbing that low-hanging fruit. <laughs> well, Taylor, we got one last question for you. It's our trademark question. Hope you're ready. In 10 words or less, can you describe blockchain? Can I say no? You can. You'd be the second ever to do that in the last <laughs> month. Uh... <laughs> can I? You'd be only the second ever. You can say no. You can say yeah, no. I'll, I'll take a hack. I think it's gonna go poorly. Uh, I just like want to say all the buzzwords, right? Like decentralized, censorship resistant, peer-to-peer uh, networks. A decentralized, <laughs> yeah, decentralized, censorship resistant, peer-to-peer network for agreeing on global state. Cost reducing. Uh, peer-to-peer. Peer to peer, peer. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate this. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. This was super fun, and thanks everyone for listening. How about uh, when the second book comes around, you come back and we uh, talk about some of the topics in it, and we can let our audience know even further how you can uh, grind efficiently in the in the crypto world. Efficient. I would grind. love to do that. All right, thank you very much. And that was the interview with Taylor Pearson. We hope you enjoyed it. Holla, 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 holla. So, what's new? What else do we want to talk about? We went to a lot of a lot of areas in the beginning of the roundtable. We did. Um, how's hashing it out going, man? We're getting a lot of like buzz from your show. It's you awesome. like doing it? You I love call? it. Love it. Colin loves can, it. Can you can you talk about what? Uh, Colin did today. Yeah, sure. Um, so there's a guy, I guess he's a distributed systems professor of some sort on Twitter. I forget his name off the top of my head, so it doesn't really matter. Matt but, Allen was his name. Sure was Matt Allen. Is that it? I don't feel like that was it. I'm pretty sure. Matt, Matt Blaze. Is Blaze's Matt, last Matt name? Matt Blaze. There we go. Hmm. 
Um, quite a few Twitter followers, like 44K. Um, saying some stuff. I guess it was like he's expecting um, blockchain to be as influential to voting systems as the segue was to human transportation, which is a clever analogy. I appreciate that. But Colin called him out and asked him to explain why he said that. Gave him some examples as to why and that the fact that he's like purposefully in this space, not for coins, but for decentralization technology that voting could benefit from. The guy basically refused to engage Colin in a battle of wits. And so Colin invited him on our show, hashing it out to for him to actually we, like we literally want him to explain to us why he believes that. Because if he has solid reasons, then we should adjust our thinking and adapt otherwise. Or, I mean, if someone has the key to why this isn't going to work and they aren't giving it up, it probably means they don't have the key. Let's, let's be real here. Um, but people like to stand behind themselves or, in my opinion, it's more of an echo chamber thing. He has a huge following. And if he goes on a show, a blockchain show, and we basically quell any issues he has with how this technology works based on some ignorance or naivety that he has about how everything works, then he loses that following. He gets out of that, that camp yeah. that well, is well, let me ask you, how do you build up, or how do you build out clout with, with just surrounding yourself with an echo chamber or just making surface statements? How do you excel in a space like that from an intellectual level? I don't know. Good question. I, if I would have known, uh, maybe I'd do it. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how it act in the face of a celebrity. If people were applauding everything I said in mass, because that doesn't happen to me. I feel, you wouldn't enjoy that. I feel as though I would <laughs> act the way I do now and say, if you can prove to me something without, with like, with rationale and logic, then I'll change what I'm, my thinking, you know, like a scientist does, um, and engage in people who, constantly push that boundary for me because it's important to me that I believe the things that I say. But like, I, I don't, I don't know, like, there's no reason why he other than he's too busy and thinks that we'll probably just, you know, like, um, ambush him and make him try to make him feel stupid or not actually have an argument. He doesn't know who we are. And I would say most people who engage with you, on Twitter or the internet or idiots, if they're like attacking you for what you believe, especially if you have a large following. So we could just be lost in that crowd. He doesn't know that we'd actually embrace intellectual conversation and have a decent conversation. But uh, yeah, I don't like people that don't embrace intellectual conversation. It's hard, right? I mean, imagine if you're a celebrity and maybe every day, if you wanted to, you could find a thousand people that tell you you're a piece of shit. How often would you try and find the one person amongst those thousand that has a legitimate argument as to why they don't like what you're doing? I try to find their mothers. It would be pretty hard, hard, right? Like, so like it, it, the it, only, only way that I'm ever going to be able to have a conversation with this dude is if one, I gain enough celebrity or two, just by happenstance, we find ourselves in a scenario where we're at the same place and a topic comes up, which could come up. 
I don't know, maybe I go to distributed systems conferences. Maybe we I go to a, I go to a school and give a talk one day about this type of thing. Like, I don't I don't think it's the same thing. I, I think if you sent a tweet to Vitalik and it just went into the ether because he's so busy, that's one thing. But this guy actually responded and said, I'm not going to debate you. That's true. That is I'm not even going to respond to your email. That is weird. So, so he took time out. So Colin sent him an email that said, please come on my show and explain that you think I'm an idiot. That's cool. I hope that you're right. I want to be wrong. Please explain to me why I'm wrong, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He tweeted it so you can read the email at Colin Couchet. Um, and instead of answering the email, he purposefully wrote a tweet that says, I'm not going to come on your show or your quote unquote podcast and have a quote unquote debate. And I'm not going to answer your email. And that just seems like a weird thing to do. It's, it's pandering to an audience of listeners for a specific type of reaction. If you weren't, if you really didn't care, you wouldn't say anything. If you take the time to come out on Twitter and say something, then you care about what the people who are following you think about the message that you put out. And if you're not willing to engage in intellectual conversation about something that you quote unquote, like I'm not even gonna say quote unquote, that you seem to bash, then you're just pandering. You're pandering to an echo chamber. Did y'all tweet him that? Did we tweet him that? That I is did. pandering? I didn't say pandering. Uh, Colin, I did. Colin I, beat him up pretty bad. I also told him that like I would love to have this conversation, but Based on the reaction, it seems as though he's pandering to an echo chamber. I don't think I said pandering, but whatever. It just it's it's Twitter, right? People like to just say stuff and get a reaction out of folks and not back it up. Especially if you're I don't know, I've been in the academic community for a while, and the advent of social media has allowed people to feel a lot better about themselves than they probably should. <laughs> what, what makes you say that and why am i the only one laughing there's a lot there's a lot of there's a lot of people that are quote unquote, like that are I'm like, i can't stop, can't stop saying quote unquote now that are in academia that don't deserve an audience for the less like, no i'm kidding like that's that, that's true like you can publish papers you can be in the space for a long time but you're still probably a piece of shit i knew a lot of pieces of shit while in academia. I know a lot of PhDs <laughs> that should <laughs> never have gotten their PhD. Social media has made people think they're better than they actually are. No, I'm not saying he's so, one of those people. I can't, like, I, I have no reason to say that, no reason to back that up. He could have great, like, publications and have a decent, legitimate argument as to why mm -hmm. this technology doesn't work for specific use cases. Yep. But I can't have that argument in, and he like, can't prove that to me because he refuses to talk. Now, this happened we today. We live in such a dangerous so. time because you can't just do. You have to do and market simultaneously. And if you don't, it's like cause it's like frowned upon. Like I know people, I know people who while they're at a job, keep a spreadsheet of their accomplishments and they update their resume like on a monthly basis. And then they go on LinkedIn and they tweet out the things that they did in their job. And I'm just like, what? I'm trying too hard. Like what? What? Like I get LinkedIn, and it's supposed to have a professional network, but you're not supposed to be pimping yourself out 24 seven. And now I get on LinkedIn, and I'm just like, I don't even.
I think I think D just lost his hotel connection. So, we well, can... that would be what D is calling marketing yourself, which is a fine line between annoying and necessary. You're right. I think, but I get I get finding that line is very difficult for people, especially when you're actively looking for a job or not happy with what you're doing. It's, you know, it's really frustrating because I, I know you, Corey, and I know that you should have way more than 1,400 followers. Goon Sarir has 65,000 followers. This guy has 40. Like, you're just as smart, witty, uh, personable, whatever. Well, I, I don't know what the magic formula is. Well, I had an academia and whatever character traits to, I don't, to propel I don't need that following, right? I find a lot of my value in my personal life outside of social media like i prefer not having to be beholden to sixty thousand people like if, if people are waiting a bait and breath on the next on the next dumb shit that i'm going to tweet there's a problem in my opinion i mean what i have to say probably in my opinion is important otherwise i probably wouldn't try and say it as much as i do but i don't need people to like follow me and listen to me and and like adore me and the things that I have to say that that if you're building if you're building things if you're building things in the space a byproduct of that would be you being an influencer and that would have to be some kind of responsibility you'd have to take you're right and we do that that's part of the podcast I I am an influencer I have the ability to reach out to the people I need to reach out to with what I build Mm -hmm. and I feel it's it's better to have a small set of people that are in my social circle that can make a difference with the things that I'm trying to do than have just a bunch of people follow me and not necessarily understand what I'm trying to do. Now, if the podcast blows up and people really care about what we say and what we do and they align with that and they come on our Slack and talk to us and learn who we are, that's beautiful. I love that. I love our Slack community because they actually engage with us. They talk to us like human beings. We're not idolized in any way, shape or form. I don't, want to be idolized that like dealing with that type of celebrity and then the and then dealing with the types of things that happen when you go against whatever people expected you to be that you weren't is something that i'm not interested in and i think a lot of people who get to those types of followers and then cater to that followership love that feedback and need that feedback and like i kind of have to like gauge what people do based on how they react to their followers over time, because a lot of people end up changing when they get a ton of feedback in some certain direction. And I, and I think social media that that's basically like enables echo chambers and for people to really, really believe what they say, because there's a bunch of people who need what they say to be true, as opposed to like objectively figuring out, whether or not what they're saying is true and arguing with them. If it's not, that's why it's no one thinks it's sexy when they ask you a question and you say, "Uh, it depends or kind of, and you don't give them like an absolute, like you should always do this. This is how you should live your life because that's going to make it easy for you. You no longer have to think about that. When some comes out and says, well, it depends on your circumstance. Um, what's your, Put your this and that. Let's have a conversation about it. It's like, well, that's too much information. I'll go with a guy that says no. And that's how you get followers. You just end up becoming more absolutist in your, in your thing. And then people align with that ideology. 
and it grows and grows and grows, but it, it's never actually actively like challenged. And I don't think a lot of people who get that big are ever challenged or like they don't have to be challenged because there's enough people that are going to tell them what they're doing is right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess back to my original point, like I like what Colin did and I think hashing it out. It's important. It's an important show because you guys are doing that. It's fun. It's fun to just yeah. ask people questions and then answer it and say, what about this? And they say, I don't know. That's a good idea. Or like, that's a good point. Or I, I like that you brought that up and actually have real conversations with people about how this stuff works because you know, cats out of the bag, it's going to change the world, but it doesn't work yet. Yeah. Cause I feel like we don't challenge that. Like I remember when Roger Ver was on the show, we're like, Oh yeah, we're going to challenge him. Or when the cool kids were on, we're like, yeah, we're going to challenge them about ripple. But then we end up having fun and we well, don't challenge. I don't know. This, this show is <laughs> like a, it's, I've, I've always thought that this show is fun because it allows us to give you like a personal perspective on the people who are doing things in this space. And not so much about the project, but the people behind them. Like, mm-hmm. like how does this actually, actually affect people's lives? And who's the person behind whatever project we're talking about and what motivates them or what's their personality like? And are they interesting at all? Or is it just like a, like a robot doing something in the background or some, you know, malevolent creature and out to get everybody it, it, that's fun about this show is that I don't have to get super technical and crazy and dive into the jargon. I can just be like, Hey man, what are you doing it? And why are you doing it? And we can have a conversation and have some fun with it. Yeah, man. I enjoy the show. My hotspot died. Oh, we know. <laughs> we picked the, we pick the conversation up flawlessly. Yeah. Like, we we're talking about uh, CM Punk fighting in the UFC. You missed it. Nice. Uh, I hope he does well. We did not he talk won't. about that. But he won't. I don't know anything about <laughs> <laughs> All right. So do we wrap it up? Is that yeah. what we're going at? Wrap it yeah. up. All right. Today's show was brought to you by... Uh, Corey, have you seen the movie yet? We don't have... I have not. Don't say it. Uh, we don't oh have any sponsors. God. We haven't had sponsors in a while, have we? We haven't had sponsors in about a month or two. Hmm. No, about a month. Hmm. All right, folks. Corey, do yourself a favor. Don't listen to the last four episodes of the Big One Podcast. I don't think I don't listen to like sponsor talk. I don't know. I just I like zone out. I just like like doing things. No one does. Let's be honest. No, no I'm I... talking about the fact that we've consistently given spoilers. Oh. Infinity Wars. Okay, good. Yeah, no, I haven't listened. The, to the last conversation's episodes. good. <laughs> we, we just, it's not lack of interest. We've just we want to give you guys more content. That's a lie. We can't get any sponsors. It's cool though. <laughs> we're we're not really trying either. <laughs> let's let's be real. Like yeah, we're not we, like, yeah, we we're not try. actively pursuing sponsors. They kind of yeah. they kind of come to us. And we're like, yeah, it sounds great. Or yeah. or like, no, I'm not I'm not pitching that. <laughs> We're kind of actively pursuing. We're like quasi-active. We're very <laughs> lackadaisical about our pursuance of a sponsorship. I'd say that. Yeah, I agree with that. Every once in a while, we go after it. I tell you what, though. Uh, butcher Box Meat, it doesn't taste as good as when they're sponsoring us, though. <laughs> <laughs> it tastes like <laughs> shit now. <laughs> no, no. Not going to go that far. It was good yeah, quality I just said meat. Good. I just <laughs> don't want to make babies with it now. So yeah, I have a confession. 
It's still in your I freezer. I never tasted that. Yeah, it's yeah, always still in, in my freezer. freezer. Literally, you, you never ate. Up. You never ate any of it. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing with it? Not eating it. You like it's a steak, like man? Should... You don't want steak for dinner? I feel like I should be saving it for the for winter. What? For the winter. You're an idiot. Mm, some freezer burn food. Mm, you just mm. wasted some quality meat. I didn't waste it. They are not sponsors, and I will still say it's quality Kenya. meat. You're an idiot. Picanha no. yesterday, and it tasted great. Anyway, mm. uh, join the Slack. The, the The new link at the webpage, thebitcoinpodcast.com. Go to the nav bar. It says Slack. Click on that. You can join us. Have a conversation. It's pretty much just like the show, but there's 500 of us, so it's fun. Yeah, and every once in a while... LK Miller will just post nudes of his girlfriend because that's cool. <laughs> he loves pushing he loves pushing boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't nudes. It's, they weren't nudes. But there's been no nudes in the entire Slack history. Some people would consider those nudes. Some people are boring. They were, they were risque. Okay, I'll give you risque. That's that's they a reasonable risque. that's a reasonable word for what happened. They were more risque than, uh, um, than like a Christina Aguilera song from the late from the early two thousand. Well, besides that, we also talk about relevant Bitcoin stuff and cryptocurrency and blockchain stuff. So we should yeah. we should add on that. Yeah, it's active. Oh. Sometimes I wake up and there's like a fifty plus notifications. Ah, that, that like almost almost like hurts my brain when I wake up and saw there's so many notifications that I have to read. Yeah, but it happens. We a like lot. the Slack, man. That's the that's my favorite part of this whole thing is that community. All right, that's it, man. Uh, the show, the Bitcoin Podcast. If you go to the Bitcoin Podcast dot network, you can get to our website. Uh, if you go to the medium dot com slash the Bitcoin Podcast, you can get to our publication. Uh, there's some media articles on there. There's a lot of you can you can really see my Bitcoin maximalist articles that I wrote. Yeah, like you went, years you went ago. hard. You went hard on Bitcoin there. maximalism. I did. I said Bitcoin. What did I say? Like Bitcoin is a zombie or something. Like, something like I don't that. know. It was a good article. I love that article. E C donate dot the Bitcoin podcast dot com. Go there and yes, and get on the leaderboard and show how much. You're better than everyone else who donates by giving way more money than them. And you're going to have to beat me because I'm currently a leader by a long shot. 0.5 Ethereum. Yeah. Yep. Uh, oh, so. if you happen to be running like a blockchain company, I'd look to get back into the industry that I love. Hit me up. I might be able to work for you. I do cool shit. Dude, you just said you, didn't like, plug. you said you didn't like marketing yourself and you just well, that's, not marketing yourself. that's not linkedin yourself that's not linkedin this is okay. my platform <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> i can market myself on this on my own platform <laughs> i think to show sure well sure. i also said you have to do it like it's 2018 you can't just do stuff and not market it you have to do both at the same time now i just realized it's just the way the world works i've been playing with my beard this show so if you hear it i'm sorry it's okay nobody can hear it all right We'll All right, about that. that's it, guys. Um, shout out to Zoe Saldana. Um, you guys got any shout outs? No, nope. you can't shout out that which does not live. God damn it.
Come on, man. We, we, that's the same spoiler. That's the same spoiler. <laughs> That's the same spoiler we gave you last time. I should, I'm just going to watch the movie. But since Corey's memory is so bad, we can keep spoiling the same spoiler over it. <laughs> <laughs> so often, Corey, you were like, How, why would you guys do that to me? <laughs> I feel like you're even like your your questionnaire is, was also part of that same spoiler. Yeah, oh, don't read the questionnaire. Just, yeah, don't read the questionnaire. And uh, Corey, don't read uh, anybody's bios on our website. We're really spoiling this movie. <laughs> no, I didn't include that in the bio. You didn't? You took it out? Okay. Yeah. I was, I was anyway. Okay. Um. Well, that's it, guys. Um. Play the outro. Play the outro.